Bible Church, Pastor Phil here with just a few announcements before we begin. If you haven't already seen our Lent resources, we highly encourage you to check them out on our website. With the start of Holy Week today, we will pray through and reflect on key passages found in Matthew about Jesus' last week leading up to the cross. Along with praying through these passages, we'd like to invite you to join us for a special prayer night this upcoming Wednesday at 6.30 in the East Worship Center. For more information on the prayer night and this week's prayer schedule, visit wheatonbible.org Easter. Families, we'd like to invite you to journey to Easter this Friday, April 7th. This is a meaningful and fun event where you can experience the walk of the cross. The cost is $25 per family and covers all the materials used along with an extra activity. To register for Journey to Easter and to find out more about our Good Friday and Easter services, visit wheatonbible.org Easter. 
We believe as a church that baptism is an outward symbol and a public declaration of the spiritual transformation that has taken place in the life of the believer. Our desire is for everyone who has professed their faith in Jesus, but has not been baptized, to take this important next step as a believer. If you are interested in being baptized, please register for our next baptism preparation class. This is a two-part class that will take place next Sunday, April 16th, and the following Sunday, April 23rd. Sign up at wheatonbible.org baptism. I hope you have a great Holy Week as we celebrate our risen Savior. From John 12, a great crowd had come for the Passover festival, heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took the palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. From Zechariah 9, rejoice gladly, O daughter of Zanon. Shout aloud, daughter, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and heavy salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt the foal of a donkey. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the rivers to the ends of the earth. How great is his goodness and how great his beauty. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord.
Let's stand, church, to God be the glory for all he has done, Palm Sunday and every day.
Amen. You may be seated. What a wonderful way to start our Palm Sunday service, declaring God's only lamb and oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. And we know that we also are the people who welcome Jesus into Jerusalem and then who also turn our backs on him the next minute. And so as we come with joyful praises today, we also know there are things in our hearts. So we'll take a few moments now to confess our sins uh, silently before him, and then we will continue. So take a few moments now. O Lord, have mercy on us, Son of David, Savior of our lives. Help us to lay at your feet all that we have and all that we are, trusting you to forgive what is sinful, to heal what is broken, to welcome our praises, and to receive us as your own. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We continue our worship today with the kids.
Well, good morning, church family. Happy Palm Sunday. Isn't it a great way to worship with our, uh, our kiddos? I think I'd forgotten that my two-and-a-half-year-old was going to be in there. Um, and he was, his first time. So uh, tech and production team, I'm going to need that video. I wasn't quick enough to... Uh, get it. But can we please thank our, our children's team for the choir and our work workers there? Um, I know what it is to corral one two-and-a-half-year-old, so to have the whole crew there is a significant undertaking. I'm grateful uh, for all of our children's volunteers every week. And so this morning, church, as we continue in worship, I want to invite our ushers uh, to come forward. And we believe here uh, as a church that, that giving, that generosity is an act of worship. Why is it an act of worship? Generosity is a response to our God who has been extravagantly generous. Giving is also one of the great ways we get to respond to an important invitation from God, an invitation to join him in all he's doing among us as a church family and around the world. And ushers, this morning you may pass the plates. So church on Palm Sunday, as we saw those branches uh, waving, we're reminded of Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And just last week, we actually had a team return. They were serving all over the Holy Land and had several days uh, in Jerusalem. And I just want you to know it was an incredible go team serving alongside uh, our partners, walking the, the real places where the scripture that we encounter and that we read occurred. And you may not know that in the Holy Land today, this land with so much biblical significance, less than 2% of the population are Christ followers. So in and around Nazareth in the north, that number is even smaller. It's a primarily Muslim area. And in and around the largest city in Tel Aviv, uh, which is mostly secular, also much smaller than 2% of Christ-proclaiming believers. And when I think of those numbers, I'm grateful for our global partners. I'm grateful for what we take part in, in the global cause of Christ. Because they fearlessly proclaim Jesus, invite people into saving relationship with them. And we have the privilege of partnering through our giving, through our prayers, and through teams like this GO team that just served there with some remarkable people. And at every visit... Uh, when I'm with them on the field, they send me back with two thanks and two uh, areas they, they ask me to share with Wheaton Bible Church. They say, please, please, please thank the church for your consistent prayers and for your support. To know that a great church family like Wheaton Bible Church is behind us spiritually in all of these ways, day in and day out, is more encouraging than you would ever know. And so they want to say thank you. And second, they want to say thank you for the consistent financial support that they receive month in and month out, year after year, that faithfully comes from you, our church family. And so I want you to know that in some of the most unreached, highly persecuted places on earth, God is on the move. And church, we get to take part 
in it, working through our fellow believers and with some amazing partners for God's glory among all nations. So church, I pray that our generosity would continue to be a beautiful part of our testimony for many more years. Amen? All right, let's pray together. Lord, this morning as we gather in worship, we, we thank you for one another. We know that it is a privilege to worship together, to gather, to sing songs, to hear from your word, to hear testimony, uh, to hear from our kids and be led in worship by the generations of our church. Father, what a privilege it is. And so we praise you, Lord, this week especially. We praise you, our Redeemer, as we enter Holy Week and head into Good Friday and Easter. And may we as a people see this time as so much more than a holiday. May we worship you in fullness as our God who is King, Lord, Savior, Redeemer, faithful, just, and true. And today, Lord, as we gather together, we also pray for all who are grieving here in our church family. We pray alongside also all the families in uh, Nashville who are grieving yet another tragic school shooting in our nation. When life has been taken, when tragedy strikes, Lord, we come before you and we, we cry out in grief. We know that violence, that evil, that, that, that mass shootings are far too common. And so, Lord, we just... We, we, we proclaim, we ask, we come before you in our need for you today. To you, the great comforter, to comfort the families and community who have lost loved ones. We pray for your peace, that when violent people seek violence, we pray your hand of protection and for a peace that surpasses our understanding and that can only come from you, Lord. It can only come from you. So this morning, as we prepare to worship through the reading and preaching of your word, would you open our hearts and minds to hear, to be challenged, to be encouraged by your truth, and instill in us, Father, to, to um, your command that our gathered worship is not separate from our lives between Sundays, but that we are sent into the world by you as a people who have been forgiven so much, who have experienced the redemption and freedom that only you can offer. So, Lord, we pray, may your church here at Wheaton Bible Church be a place where we taste and where others taste and see the glories of heaven. We pray all this in your most holy name this morning. Amen. Church, would you stand for the reading of God's word? Today's reading is from Matthew 18, verses 15 through 35, and you can find this on page 100 of your journals. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly, I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, 
and whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him and canceled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. This fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning again, church family. It's great to be gathered to worship together in worship, isn't it? Um, so welcome to all of you. If you are visiting with us or checking out Wheaton Bible Church, let me just uh, answer the question for you right off the bat. Um, continue to join us. Stop looking around. You found what I think is a great uh, church family. Um, so this morning, um, we continue our series in Matthew. Uh, I have been looking forward all week to this, and not just this sermon, uh, our service, our children's choir, our Palm Sunday uh, celebrations, um, because we get to continue our series in the Gospel of Matthew that we've been in for, for a while now, and we're going to be in for uh, the rest of 2023. And our passage is actually lined up well today because on Palm Sunday, the reality is that as the branches wave, Jesus is welcomed to Jerusalem. He is proclaimed as king, as the awaited Messiah, as savior. And that is really, really important. 
It's important to this week because it means that when he goes to the cross on Friday, he actually goes as King, Messiah, Savior, which means that his sacrifice is so perfect that the fullest, deepest, and most profound forgiveness that the world has ever known or ever will know was accomplished. Amen? As I remind you all, when I preach here, I am more used to uh, preaching around the world. I do that more than I end up preaching here. And around the world, when God's word is being preached, uh, most people feel very, very comfortable with uh, verbal exclamations or response, okay? So if whatever, whenever that comes to your mind, that will uh, just feel free. Yes, you got it. Thank you. So I need some honesty from you this morning. How many uh, here, show of hands, thinks that our world today could use just a little more forgiveness? Would be pleased that many more headlines of our news stories were testimonies of profound forgiveness. Now time for a little more honesty. Who here today has ever messed up, fallen short of Perfection. Okay. One more level. Who just elbowed your spouse or kid next to you and said, listen up, Pastor Kyle is talking to you? Now, you may be right, but if you're the one who's still keeping that record of wrong, this sermon is for you too. Gotcha. And so this whole section, as we're in Matthew 18, there is a hyper-focus on what the community of faith is supposed to look like. The key concepts and lifestyles that will be really important for a group of people. And we actually find messy, sinful people, but doing life together, worshiping a perfect God. So this key we get to today, something that will need to be a deep mark of the community of faith of us here at Wheaton Bible Church is something we have to practice all the time, experience all the time. And so Jesus makes this so clear because we do mess it up. It's forgiveness. So listen up, pay attention, a disclaimer as I start here today. I know that forgiveness is a really big topic. Uh, I figured there were about 10 ways this sermon could go. Practices of restoration. Practices of reconciliation. Um, the, The pathways to how do we forgive each other more, almost like workshop after workshop. But it's really convicting to me as I thought about this, that this parable I actually think is one of Jesus's easiest to understand. And yet it's the one we seem to have the most trouble practicing. I do believe and see that deep healing and restoration are possible and it is so beautiful when it happens, right? But I want to acknowledge here at the outset that wounds go deep. Real healing with real hurts go deep, can take a long time to find forgiveness and healing. And forgiveness can be indescribably challenging. It can take years, decades, and be lifetimes in its formation. 
So while I can't give us everything in one sermon today, what I hope to do in this parable is shine a light on Jesus, on his heart, because he illustrates his heart here. Who he is, why we need him, the depths and beauties of his forgiveness. So if we, just this morning, can place our story of sin, mistakes, hurt, wrong, bitterness into the bigger story, and it is a bigger story, amen, of Jesus and his perfect forgiveness, there is a freedom and a healing that is so beautiful, gives glory to God, and I will argue today is a witness to a watching world. So you with me so far? You want to hear more? Okay. So here's where we're headed to walk through this scripture today. I have four points. Now I know uh, three points is usually Hannibal's norm. That guy is consistent. Last week, if you fell out of your chair when he only had two, I'm going to make everything right with the world with four today, average out to three. Okay. So forgiveness. Here's where we're going. What is it? Why do we need it? How do we get it? And once we have it, what do we do with it? So first, forgiveness, what is it? We're going to go directly to God's word for this. Not our cultural definitions, all of which are either incomplete or I would argue incorrect. We're going directly to what we find in God's word. And there are two terms most commonly used in the New Testament in conveying the concept of forgiveness. They both apply to all these dimensions at the same time, a vertical between God and us, an internal, our reception of forgiveness, and then a horizontal, meaning in our interaction together. Vertical, internal, horizontal. So the first that we come to, karizomai, in the Greek, this contains the root Charis. What a beautiful term because charis is the biblical term most often applied to grace. So charizomai is, is used for forgiveness, the root being grace. So forgiveness is therefore showing of grace, not something that is earned or merited. If it's earned or merited, it's not grace. It's just giving what somebody is owed. So grace means um, not earned or merited, but it also means it can be costly because it is given at the expense of the giver. And we'll explore that concept more today. The second most commonly used in the New Testament is what we find today. Aphesis. This is used 40 times. It means to release someone from a legal obligation or debt. Did you hear that in our passage today? Released from a debt. It means a debt is canceled by a creditor. And most often that the creditor rather than the debtor pays or absorbs the debt. Why is this good news? We'll get to that in a second. But imagine those of us who have debt, probably the most common would be our mortgage company. What good news would it be if your letter arrived next month and instead of your next payment bill, the mortgage company said, we are forgiving that 
debt, meaning we are absorbing that cost or paying the cost ourselves, and your balance is zero. That's sweet, I heard up here, yeah. I would wish for that day. This is the one we find in our passage. This is in the Lord's prayer. Lord, forgive us our debts as we forgive though, as we forgive our debtors. Some translations, trespasses, sin. So listen to what it is and is not from these verses. Forgiveness entails calling sin, sin. It's wrongdoing. It acknowledges that a wrong has been done. It's not excusing sweeping it under the rug, or being a doormat for someone to continue to sin against you. It's acknowledging sin. Two, it acknowledges there are consequences. Don't let sin go unchecked. The first part of our passage, why does the church or the gathered body of believers need to confront sin? Because if it goes unchecked, it runs rampant and it festers among a group of people. Third, it's obedience. It's not a feeling. And as we will talk about today, that obedience can be hard and costly. The hard part of forgiveness, I actually believe, is why Jesus in our scripture today says, there I am with them. Now, while we may have that verse up on our windowsill, and it's the nice where two or three are gathered in our name, and it's like around the kitchen table, You notice that Jesus says, I'm with you, and I'm reminding you of that because what I'm about to ask you to do often is really hard. I am with you because I'm telling you that to be obedient means to forgive extravagantly. Interesting. Puts a different spin on that verse, right? Four, it has the goal of restoration. Why do we forgive? We read today in the first part of our passage, when you do this in the right way, when you confront sin, but then also forgive it, you may gain your brother. There's a goal of restoring relationship, and when relationship is restored, that's reconciliation, and that's pointing to the fullness of the gospel. Thank you. There is relationship between how much someone has been forgiven and how much they love. In Luke 7, 47, Jesus declares, whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. That carries with it, whoever has been forgiven much, loves, you're following me, amen. All right, so that's what it is. Why, sorry, I'm not gonna go there yet. Turn with me, verse 21. Uh, 18 verse 21. So we've got this playbook of forgiveness. Um, Verse 21 was up on the screen. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. So Peter asks a good question. It's one you and I might ask. After being challenged with forgiveness, after going through this hard process, wouldn't a natural question be, are there limits to forgiveness? 
Lord, can you please give me a reason not to offer forgiveness in this circumstance and in this circumstance? That would be really hard. How will I know when I'm forgiving too much, God? And Jesus responds probably a little exasperated because Peter says, okay, seven times? Now, at this time, the rabbis would usually say forgive three times, and by the fourth, no more forgiveness of premeditated sin. So when Peter says, surely, Lord, seven, he's saying double the normal. Surely that must be enough. Wouldn't that be extravagant forgiveness? And Jesus says 77 times. Some translations and in other parts of the Gospels, it's 70 times 7 instead of 77. Either way, I want you to see the point here. The number is extremely high. No matter which calculation you use, forgiveness has become a way of life. Who's counting the need for forgiveness up to 77 and then all of a sudden reaches 78 and says, Bam! Now you're not forgiven. Jesus is saying, by the time you get that high, forgiveness has become a, not a calculation anymore, but a disposition of your heart. A disposition of your heart. And just in case that response doesn't get quite understood, or we keep asking the calculation questions while missing the extravagance Jesus is talking about, he continues with a parable to illustrate what the kingdom of God looks like. Now I'm on to my next point. That's what it is, forgiveness. Why do we need it? Turn back with me to our passage. Verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. Why did the servant need forgiveness here? He had a massive debt. In the NIV, it says 10,000 bags of gold. The, the original will be 10,000 talents. Why is that important? A talent is a unit of measure. A talent would be about 75 pounds of a precious metal. So 10,000 of those say it is gold. 10,000 talents of gold, 750,000 pounds of gold. Now, let's personalize it. Is that a lot? Your answer is probably. Most likely. Well, Kyle, for some of us, if you all want to forgive my mortgage who said that, you can do that. One talent equals 6,000 denarii. A denarii equals about a day's wages for an average laborer at this time. So stick with me in the calculation. So 10,000 talents here, I triple check this math, is 60 million days of labor to repay the debt. That's over 164,000 years. So the point here, when the servant is asking, give me time, 
The king is, you know, in a thousand lifetimes, it is not possible to repay this debt. That's the point here. It's not just really high. It is unpayable. It's an impossible sum. You say, okay, Pastor Kyle, I'm with you so far. The servant had an impossible debt. Let's bring it to today. Here's a calculation. This is my moment of transparency with you. Let's say that I sin, either intentionally or unintentionally, in thought, in interaction, in action. Let's just say, because uh, we know I'm particularly holy, I'm saying that facetiously, but for the sake of calculation, one time per day. We all know it's way more than that. And when I say I'm talking about me, I'm talking about you too. So 365 days a year times 38 years, 13,870 times needing forgiveness. Now church, I don't know if you caught that, that's a lot. I am a man in need of forgiveness. You are in need of forgiveness. And just imagine if my wife Joy kept count. I'm thankful I didn't hear like a scoff from over here to the right where she's sitting at the count. But just in case I'm not clear enough here, obviously the number is way higher. Standing before a God someday who knows every thought I have ever thought, every bad thing I not only did but thought about, every failure, sin, little moment short of perfection. Of course, that number is uncountable. Almost like a debt of 10,000 talents. I could never pay it. I need that forgiveness. Do you? If you're being honest, the answer is yes. That's the vertical, God and us, remember? And there's a horizontal dimension. Sorry, the internal dimension. We could be like the servant here and start with a self-salvation plan. God, King, just give me a little bit more time, I can pay it. But back to the parable, what does this guy need? He doesn't just need time. There's not enough time. He needs the mercy of the king. He needs the compassion of the king. He doesn't stand a chance of paying it. And if he keeps putting himself in the place of the king to say that he can, he's actually offending the king because he's saying he could pay a debt that only the king could pay. We don't stand a chance in a thousand lifetimes of paying off the debt. That's why we need it. The vertical, the internal, the horizontal. And life together, we need to extend it. I'll get to this more in the next point. There are so many studies about people who are at the end of their lives either regret what they are regretting and most thankful for. And here are the answers that you just don't hear. Is that someone at the end of their life saying, I really wish I was more vengeful. I really, really wish I had retaliated more to the people who hurt me. What are the answers you do here? And there's truth here. The most common regrets are saying, I wish I had made things right with fill in the blank. I wish I hadn't held on to that for so long. 
And here's the point. Bitterness and vengeance, use any other words you want, will eat us alive. I read a quote this week that haunts me. It said, bitterness is like drinking a poison and hoping for the other person to die. Enough said there. That's not freedom. That's not peace. So what is it? Why do we need it? Here we get to it. How do we get it? What happens next? Action by the king. Verse 27. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. The king took on that debt, the payment. He took on the liability and the cost. That was money that would not make it into the king's treasury and he bore the cost. Here's what I love in the story and where this just points to the kingdom of God. The servant threw himself at the, at the king and asked for patience. And he actually receives far more than patience. He receives mercy, compassion, grace, and forgiveness. So how do we get it? This one actually is pretty simple. We come to the end of ourselves. We realize the enormity of that debt. We take ourselves out of the position of God and put God where he is meant to be. He is God and I am not. Out of the delusion that we could possibly save ourselves and we repent. We throw ourselves at the mercy of the king. Calling that debt unpayable by us, but payable by him. And here we get to it, church. God is moved by compassion. The king, he declares, I see you in your brokenness, your fallenness, your rebellion, and I am going to release you from your burden of it. He fulfills his promise of redemption. This is what the Easter season celebration is all about. It's the debt that we couldn't pay being born by another being taken on. It is saying when we are full of sin, Jesus Christ was sinless. When we were unrighteous, Jesus was full of righteousness. When we were poor, the richness of heaven arrived in Jesus Christ. When a great debt that was incurred that no one could possibly pay, the Son of God, the Holy One, pays it. This parable is Jesus telling you today that he is going to the cross. He is paying that debt. And what we need to hear is that it is costly. Remember, forgiveness, bearing the penalty, the payment for another, it is costly. And yet Jesus is going and it will be accomplished. This is why we as Christians believe Jesus is the only way. There aren't any other ways because there is no other way to pay off the debt. Only the perfect son of God could do it. Reflect with me here on Colossians 2, 13 and 14. This is you. This is me. When we receive Christ, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Listen to the language here that's the same as our parable today. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. So church, 
receive it. That's how you get it. Receive it. And to my last point, do you think that truth, if you know today how much you have been forgiven and continue to be forgiven, do you think that truth, experiencing that perfect love and forgiveness, would change you? You better believe it would. Jesus continues with the parable, stating the obvious. If you really knew, if you really experienced that forgiveness, of course it would change you. So last point, what do we do with it? The last act of the parable comes up. What do we do with it? And the servant has just been forgiven his unpayable debt. Wow. And he wanted a patient king, and what he got was patient, compassionate, and forgiving king. So as that part of the story wraps up, we would expect the last act to open up on a man who would be, uh, what did I have here? Maybe the Rambo or the Marvel Avengers or the Oprah of forgiveness, depending on your cultural inclinations. Wouldn't he? The superstar of forgiveness. And Jesus continues, he wraps up the parable with all the things not to do with it. Look with me at verse 28. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him. Note the same language that was before the king. Be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. So what do we get? Don't diminish what has been paid for you, the debt that has been paid I will actually argue this morning, it's not just that the servant diminished it. He showed by his actions that he rejected it. Had no internal, had no understanding. It had not gone to his heart what he had been forgiven. Because if it had, he would be going out and forgiving the debt that was just a fraction of what he was forgiven. Jesus illustrates it by showing that this servant who has been given so, so much. If you cannot forgive others, then you don't truly grasp the king's forgiveness. Now listen to what I'm not saying here. I'm not saying that that forgiveness comes easy. I'm not saying that it comes right away. Like I said, there is some that is lifetimes in the making. What I am saying is it's true 
that God desires for his people to be forgiven by him and then forgiving to others. So framed more positively, if you know the king's forgiveness, then you must show the king's forgiveness. So what do we do with it? This is where there's a spiritual practice, church. It's a spiritual practice that says, uh, I will preach the gospel to myself all the time. Because when forgiveness can be hard, I'm probably going to have eyes, heart on myself, right? Preach the gospel to myself all the time. When I feel wronged or actually have been wronged, when somebody offends me, when someone attacks me, when some, it's someone I love, when that post goes up online that I disagree with or paints a caricature of me or who Christ followers are or offends whatever tribe I'm associating with, you can tell because it just happened, I get heated. I'm talking about me and I'm talking about you. Now, when I hold on to that in marriage, in parenting with my kids, with my closest friends, with you, my brothers and sisters here at Wheaton Bible Church, or publicly with a world looking on, how does that go for me? How does that go for you? There is no scenario in which ruminating on that, cycling through that, turns anything but toxic. And here's how we need to play it out. Preach the gospel to myself all the time. What does that mean? It means I don't have to seek vengeance because I trust a God who is just. I don't always need to be right because in Christ I am righteous. I don't have to lash out in insecurity because in Christ my identity is secure. I can love others well even when they sin because there is a truth that on the one hand I am more sinful than I can ever imagine. And on the other hand, in Christ I am more loved than I can ever imagine. How much have I been forgiven? In Christ I am forgiven much. Preach the gospel to ourselves all the time. So here's my challenge to you, church, as I close. In a world where cancellation is called for after one mistake, one failure, the one who knows the forgiveness of Christ can find forgiveness. Who could possibly even forgive their enemies? And this is a direct line that Jesus himself gives. The one who knows and trusts that the God of the universe is just. Who could possibly forgive and offer blessing to those who may persecute them? The one who has experienced the forgiveness that Jesus offered on the cross. Who can forgive when the world says forgiveness is impossible? The Christian who has eyes and heart focused on Jesus. Amen? Amen. Do you receive that challenge? 
Because church, I believe there is a world looking on that is in desperate need of forgiveness. And what Jesus is saying, there is going to be a supernatural, inexplicable forgiveness found among my people and my church. That's where it's going to be found. It won't be found anywhere else. He modeled it for us. One more verse for you today. 1 Peter 2, 23 to 25. When you need to know what you were forgiven. If you need the way to preach the gospel to yourself, this would be a good one to memorize and to repeat. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Church, do you know how much you have been forgiven? What a witness that would be in our world today, desperate for forgiveness. That there would be a group of people, you and I, not who don't sin against each other, not who don't mess up or who are without sin, but can forgive each other much and give glory to God. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I pray for my brothers and sisters here. Lord, on the one hand, as we've discussed, forgiveness is hard, it is costly, and I know there are deep wounds here. I acknowledge them. I pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, um, and claim the promise of your presence among us, Father. We praise you, Lord that the debt we could never pay is one that you have paid in Jesus Christ. May we walk in that truth every day of our lives and may that give glory to you among us in your church, in our families, our community, our nation, and the nations of the world, Father. May the perfect forgiveness of you, our holy God, be known. It's in your most holy name we pray. Amen. Church, let's stand together and respond to the word of God. Not till heaven will I know just how much I owe Not till then will my heart see All you've done for me When this passing world is done And I stand in glory, son Only then will my heart know 
much I owe When I hear the wicked cry As this world is passing by and I see them start to fall Into Satan's fiery hall When I think that but for grace I would feel the flames Only then will my heart know How much I owe Stand before the throne Dressed in beauty not my own When I see you as you are Love you with a sinless heart When the praise of heaven I hear Loud as thunder in my ear Only then will my Church, we are a forgiven people. And as you know, we end our services here and we uh, usually end them by declaring that church, you are sent. And so today I want to send you as a forgiven people. May the world who encounters all of you in the week ahead encounter the forgiveness that only God offers. That's what you are sent to. Amen? So let's receive the benediction this morning from Psalm 67. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that his ways may be known on earth and his salvation among all nations. And the church says... Church, we love you. We'll see you on Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Have a great week, and you are sent.